Welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on Sunday, March 25th, 2018, on the basis of Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. What's the worst, meanest, most hurtful insult that has ever been sent your way? Recently in our house, we've been watching some old episodes of a classic 80s sitcom, and it's interesting to see how the insults that people use, especially the ones used by children, sort of change over the years. There was a time when if someone referred to you as a bimbo, or an airhead, or a dweeb, or a preppy, that might have really hurt your feelings. In which case, of course, you simply needed to say, well, I'm rubber and you're glue and whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. (laughs) But we don't talk that way anymore, do we? The insults that, that people use to cut each other down sort of change over the years. And if that's the case, then I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb and I'm going to guess that no one in the room today has ever been insulted by being referred to as an annulator. I'm going to put that up on the screen just so you can see how it's spelled. You're probably wondering what even does it mean to be an annulator. I'll tell you, but not quite yet. That way you keep paying attention to the sermon, right? The point for now is simply this, that for the past several weeks during the season of Lent, we have been seeing how Jesus so often takes our assumptions about God and turns them completely upside down. Jesus asks us to buy into ideas that are the direct opposite of the ideas that come naturally to us and to the world around us. Ideas that are are so unnatural that eventually, at some point along the line, someone's going to consider us to be a little bit odd for thinking them. Someone might even say that we're a little bit odd. Someone might even throw a mean, nasty insult our way. Well, all of that sort of comes to a culmination, sort of comes to a head today. You see, as much as Christianity is about buying into a specific set of ideas, much, much more so, Christianity is about buying into a person. And as much as, as, much as we might think that the ideas Jesus asks us to believe seem to be a bit upside down, nothing compares to how upside down Jesus himself is. As a leader that people would follow, as a hero that people would rally around, as a champion that people would put their trust in, Jesus breaks the mold in every possible way. In fact, as we celebrate Palm Sunday today, by looking at these verses from the prophet Zechariah, we're going to see that being a Christian means doing something that plenty of people would consider to be pretty odd. Being a Christian simply means this, worshiping, a donkey-riding king. Now, maybe it seems a bit overboard to refer to Jesus that way. I mean, sure, this this one day, this one time, he happened to ride a, a donkey into Jerusalem, but let's not get carried away. Well, consider, first of all, this prophecy from the book of Zechariah. You heard what he wrote. It says, See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So out of all the things 
that God wanted his people to know in advance about the coming Savior, about their coming king, one of those details included the fact that he would ride on a donkey. This isn't some minor insignificant part of the story. This is a major part of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Or consider for a moment the way that the gospel writers tell the story of Palm Sunday. You heard Mark's account earlier in the service. Mark takes 11 verses to tell us about Palm Sunday. Seven of them are about the donkey. He first of all tells us how Jesus sends his disciples ahead of them, tells them what to look for, where they're going to find it, what to say if people ask them about it. Then Mark goes on to tell us how all of that happened, how they, how they went ahead into the village, how they found the donkey, how someone asked them about it, how they said what Jesus told them to say and, and how it worked. Seven verses, minute, almost excruciating detail, all about the donkey. This is no minor insignificant part of the story. No, really, that donkey on which Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is the perfect symbol for exactly the kind of king Jesus came to be. When Jesus entered into Jerusalem, he was not riding on some mighty war horse. He was not riding in some shiny state-of-the-art chariot. No, he chose a lowly beast of burden, the kind of animal a servant might make use of. When he entered into Jerusalem, he wasn't accompanied by this army of loyal and well-trained Navy SEALs who were ready to fight for him to the bitter end. No, he was accompanied by unarmed, untrained fishermen who later in the week, at the first sign of danger, ran like cowards. Jesus went into Jerusalem rode into battle to fight against our enemies for us, not in some predictable show of strength, but in total and utter weakness. He rode not to kill, but to be killed. He rode not to slaughter his enemies, but to surrender to them. Contrary to our expectations for a king in every conceivable way. In fact, it's no wonder that when people all over the world started worshiping this Jesus as their king, people started insulting them the way that they did. Up on the screen, you see a picture of some early anti-Christian graffiti. This was actually discovered, carved into a wall in ancient Rome. In the picture on the left, it's a little bit difficult to see what exactly was, was carved out, and so you see a sketch of it over on the right. The words written there say, Alex Samanus, we'll, we'll call him Alex, Alex worships his God. And then you see a picture of the God that Alex is worshiping. You see that he is on a cross. They got that part right. You see the shape of his head. It's a donkey. Jesus so broke the mold of what people expected out of a king, that early critics of Christianity didn't simply say that Christians were worshiping a king who rode on a donkey. They said that Christians worshiped a king who was a donkey. They accused Christians of being analators, donkey worshipers. 
without using our imaginations too hard, we can probably think of some colorful language that people today might use that would make a similar accusation against Christians. Since there are children in the room, I won't say it out loud. Let's just say that a king whose strength is weakness and who wins victory in defeat, well, you put that up against our expectations for what a king ought to be, and let's just say that it's a bit asinine. And maybe that's why it's difficult for us to hear exactly what Zechariah says in these verses. He says, Rejoice greatly. Shout for joy when you see that this is your king. He speaks to the people of God and he says, When you see this king coming, don't just reluctantly accept him as your ruler and as your king, but jump for joy that this donkey-riding king is yours. So what exactly does it look like to worship the donkey-riding king? Well, let me suggest three things. First of all, worshiping the donkey-riding king means submitting to his upside-down sovereignty. Here in America, we're used to thinking in in terms of a democracy. We're not used to thinking in terms of one person having absolute control over our lives. We're used to thinking of a democratic process and separation of powers and checks and balances and all that good stuff. Jesus didn't come to be our president. He didn't come to be our congressman. He came to be our king. He is in charge of every single aspect of our lives. And rest assured that he is going to apply the very same principle that he applied on Palm Sunday as he carries out that rule. And so when Jesus asks you to do something that is difficult or painful, when he allows something to happen in your life that doesn't make you very happy, are we going to question, complain, maybe even rebel against his rule, or are we going to joyfully submit to his upside-down sovereignty as our donkey-riding king? Worshiping the donkey-riding king also means imitating his upside-down strategy. In our own small ways, each one of us has the opportunity to have a little bit of influence and make a little bit of impact during our time here on this earth. And so the big question is, how are we going to do it? Are we going to follow the same principles by which the world operates? Might makes right. Take what is yours. Win at all costs. Or are we willing to consider for even a second that if everyone else in the world is pursuing that path, then then maybe, just maybe, the one that will actually work best is the one that is different. The one where weakness is actually more powerful than strength where biting your tongue is more powerful than lashing out, where forgiving is more powerful than seeking revenge? Will we imitate the upside-down strategy of our donkey-riding king? One more. Worshiping a donkey-riding king means staring at his upside-down beauty. If you've ever been witness to a scene that is just breathtakingly beautiful, you know that your natural inclination is to just stare at it. You don't want to miss out on what you are seeing for even one second. Well, realize that as an upside-down, donkey-riding king, Jesus kind of tends 
to have the exact opposite reaction. In fact, that's what happened in Jerusalem during Holy Week. On Palm Sunday, there were crowds of people more than happy to welcome him, to shout his praises, to hail him as their king. But then as the week went on, as it became more and more evident what kind of king Jesus came to be, one that didn't match up with their expectations, as he was arrested and tried and beaten and mocked and finally lifted up from the earth for all the world to see, where were the crowds? Nowhere to be found. So what about you? I'd be the first to admit that it would be great if we could gather here on Palm Sunday, sort of a a joyous and festive day, and then seven days later, join again back here on Easter Sunday, an even more joyful and more festive day. I would love that. If nothing else, it would make this coming week a whole lot less work for me. But that's not the kind of king that we need, and that's not the kind of king that we have. We have a king who went through everything that came in between. We need a king who knows that in order for us to be in the same room as him, we can't even approach him. Even down on our hands and knees on the ground, even begging and groveling, we have no right to be in the same room as him. And so we need a king who was willing to approach us, who took his own body and blood joined it together with bread and wine and gave it to us as a gift to eat and to drink. We need a king like that. We need a king who would look at his subjects, see the horrible condition that they are in, and know that they have absolutely no ability to make up for it, to make it right, to pay for their sins all by themselves. And so we needed a king who was willing to suffer unimaginable torture, humiliation, and finally death so that those very same subjects could go free. We need a king like that. And so this week, as we remember those events and sort of vividly watch them unfold before our eyes, where will you be? Too busy? Uninterested? Better things to do? No, worshiping a donkey-riding king means joyfully staring at his upside-down beauty. Eyes fixed, gaze locked in, unwilling to take our eyes away. Okay, enough. We all know that all too often, even though we are quick to self-identify as worshipers of a donkey-riding king, all too often that's in name only. All too often we don't practice what we preach. All too often our walk does not match our talk. And of course, that's the very reason why Jesus needed to come as the king that he did. It's the very reason we needed a king whose strength was his weakness and whose victory was earned in defeat. It's so that he could accomplish the very thing that Zechariah talks about in these verses so that he could bring peace to the ends of the earth, so that he could set people captive in prison free, so that he could accomplish the seemingly impossible goals of both defeating all of his enemies and taking 
those enemies' allies, you and me, and sparing them, setting them free, allowing them to have peace and freedom. In fact, all over the world, Jesus has won and continues to win hearts from all mankind, people who want nothing more than to be citizens in his kingdom because he came to be a king like this. What no implement of war could ever do, what no war horse, no chariot, no sword, no spear, no battle bow could ever accomplish, Jesus accomplished riding on a donkey. His weakness accomplished more than all the power in all the world ever could. And so, friends, as you worship him, I'm still willing to guess that it won't result in you being insulted as an annulator. Probably won't result in you being insulted at all. But, but rest assured, as you worship him, as you submit to his upside-down sovereignty, as you imitate his upside-down strategy, as you stare at his upside-down beauty, it won't always be easy. It won't always be fun. It probably won't make you popular or rich or famous. But know that in his weakness, Jesus has accomplished what all the power in the world never could. And so as you worship this donkey riding king, whatever challenge that presents to you in your life, don't take it as an insult. Wear it as a badge of honor. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.